Thank you, Jonathan. I was just... Uh, my most memorable moment like that, when you said you're not preaching, was uh, I filled in for Max Lucado at Oak Hills one time, and come to find out the uh, Baptist Convention was meeting in San Antonio, and the schedule revolved around all the buses taking everybody to Oak Hills to hear Max Lucado that morning. And so thousands of Baptists came in with their Max Lucado books to be signed, and the words came... Max Lucado is not here today, but Mike Cope is speaking, and there was moaning all across the auditorium. So, so this was nice, that this was at least affirming of both of us, I felt like, today. That was good. And um, I, I was not actually Eden's Bible teacher. They, they let me try teaching the K through 5. I tried a series on Romans. It did not go. It was like I got fired. I was the muscle in the class. But I do remember your children in there, and that is sweet, Eden, and thank you for those words today, powerful words. And Brother Terry, I've got deja vu everywhere today. About 30 trips around the sun ago or a little more, um, I was the preacher at the college church in Searcy, and there was a charismatic young 19-year-old worship leader, and uh, so to be teamed up with you again today is, is just a, a wonderful, wonderful thing. Uh, this church has meant so much to me for the longest time. Um, by the way, last time I preached here, I had several people say, when I hear your voice, I feel like I'm in college again. Which I understand, that's how I was with Jim Woodruff. But I got to thinking about that later, and I did want to say, if when you hear my voice, you're back in college again, you're old. Because uh, that's been a long time ago. I know I'm old, but uh, that's a long time ago, the, the 1980s into the early 1990s. But during that time, uh, during the rare moments that I wasn't preaching, uh, Diana and I would bring our children over to Pleasant Valley. My cousins, uh, Steve and Kathy Stevens, were and are members here. And it was for us a place of respite. It was, uh, our daughter was mentally and uh, physically disabled. And the moment we'd walk in the door, this church would welcome Megan and give us a kind of relief and, and a kind of joyful worship experience. So way back when, I loved Pleasant Valley. And now, uh, after I got out of ministry, after a lifetime of preaching, uh, for the first time, I had a preacher myself, and it was Jonathan Stormont. And I'm still thankful to him and the Stormont family for the way they poured into us, to our grandchildren, and so on. And it's the, the church home for my sister and my brother-in-law now. So, so many ways that I'm, I'm deeply grateful for Pleasant Valley. The bad news I have to tell you is... I don't know a lot about the Enneagram, but if you are an Enneagram One, you will not like this sermon. It, I just don't think it can happen. Because if I understand it correctly, that means you're way into fairness. You like things to be fair. It's like if you could mete out punishment, manslaughter would be 15 years, butting in line at the theater would be 20. And going through the under 10 checkout at the grocery store with 25 items would be life in prison. It's not fair. That's just not fair. When it comes to work, we want fair pay for fair work. Isn't that what we say? We want quid pro quo, something for something. Sally Brown could understand. I suppose that's her last name. Charlie Brown's little sister, Sally. She's making her Christmas list. 
It's exhaustive. She goes on and on about all the toys she wants. And at the end, she just says, if you can't carry all of that, just send cash. And Charlie Brown is distraught at his sister's greed. And she says, I just want what's fair. I just want what's coming to me. And that's you Enneagram ones. And really, a lot of us probably. We have impulses for what's fair. And the story of Jesus that we'll try to digest and live afresh today is a story that doesn't feel fair. feels generous, at least to some people, but not to everyone. So let's begin by hearing the scandal that it is, Matthew chapter 20. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day, and then he sent them into the vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I'll pay you whatever's fair. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around and he asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. And he said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received, drum roll, a denarius. So when those came who had been hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you've made them equal to us who borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Let's pray. Oh God, may this ancient, scandalous story of our Lord live in our midst today. Will you please pour through me the gift of preaching that it may speak afresh through your Holy Spirit into our lives. Through Jesus, the master storyteller, we pray. Amen. 
So today we, we drop into the first century world of viticulture and viniculture, the raising of grapes, the making of wine. And I'm not an expert in those fields, but I know this. When the grapes are ready, you better harvest them. For one thing, a storm could come in and wipe out your crop, but probably more significantly, just a little more sugar in those grapes and they will burst or rot or the birds will find them absolutely irresistible and again, the crop is gone. So, he gets up and he goes out to find out, are they ready? Now today, a graduate of UC Davis or maybe Arkansas Viticulture Department, if there is one, They would know how to do it with a computer. They would know how to take a grape, put it in there, crush it, and the computer would say, it's ready, the sugar level is just right. But back then, you knew if you knew. So the owner goes out and he tastes the grape and he tastes another and says, we got to get these in. So off he goes to get workers down at the market, the labor center, pulls his flat-bottom truck in there and says, time to pick some grapes. Who wants to work? A denarius is the pay. That's basically just a day's pay. A day's pay for a day's work. Give us this day our daily bread. And the way you get that daily bread by God's providence is with a denarius. You don't get rich on a denarius, but you and your family eat. So eager workers, the poor of the community, get in. And they go out to the vineyard to work six to six, to work in the cool morning hours as the mist dissipates, to work through the heat of the late morning, the heavy heat of the afternoon on into the evening till they punch out and it's payday. Twelve hours. They're going to be out there cutting clusters of grapes, dropping them in the buckets, carrying the buckets over to the wine press, and then repeating all day long. But as I said, you've got to get them in that day. And it's clear this is not enough. We need more workers. So back he goes in the flatbed truck. It's nine in the morning. Anybody else? Come on, please. There's some standing around. They get in. And he just says to them, I'll pay you what's fair. And so they go and they start working. Now it's noon. He needs more. Then it's three in the afternoon. He still needs more workers. And finally... Remarkably in the story, it's five in the afternoon. There's just an hour left, but he's got to get the grapes in. There's work in the vineyard. So back he goes. Anybody else? Now, these are the ones. You wonder, where were they? Where were they earlier? You've got a few people with their last little cigarette, maybe a flask on the side. But he's like, I'm going to let's go. Let's go pick some grapes. And in the back they go and off to the vineyard for an hour. Now, there's nothing really scandalous or unfair at this point. It's when it's time for pay that Enneagram Ones start sweating profusely. Because we know, this is in the middle of Matthew, where there are a lot of stories about the last will be first and the first will be last. So it's not surprising that the ones who came last are going to come up and receive their pay. And those of us in the back, those of us who's been working hard in the vineyard, we're trying to divide, okay, denarius for 12 hours, they worked one hour, about a twelfth of a denarius, and they go up there, and what do they receive? A denarius! They, they worked an hour! They stood around all day, worked an hour after the sun was at its apex, and they get a full denarius. That's good news to two people. 
First, it's good to the guy that's surprised by the generosity. But if I'm back here and I've worked 12 hours, I'm so excited I can't stand it. Because if they got one, what am I going to get? Is he going to pay me 12 denarius? I'm texting my wife. I'm going to be buying meat on the way home today. It's going to be a daily bread and daily meat day in our family. But then it gets complicated. Those who worked nine hours got a denarius. No more. Those who came at noon got a denarius. Those who came at... All of them in between. They all got one denarius. And now it comes to me. I worked 12 hours. And I reach out my hand and there it is. About 5.45 in the morning, that sounded like really good news. But now I get what I was told I would get and it feels bitter. This is not good news at all. It's It's unfair. Everybody's getting the same pay. That's why I said, at this point, many of us are like, is that right? And, and he says, now, friend, this isn't unfair, is it? And I know technically the answer is no. But somehow it doesn't pass the smell test of fairness. And I wonder, just early on in the telling of this story, if there are times that generosity and fairness don't sit well together. And what we're having in this story is a level of generosity that can just make us break into hives if we need it to be fair. And I might point out, those of you who have business degrees, did they teach you this kind of business model in school? No, you could, you could just tank your business if you did business like this. Because let's say it's the next day and you go looking for the six o'clock workers. Where are they all? Nobody's around. They're going to they're gonna sleep in, come sometime in the afternoon. They want to be part of the last crowd. We, we instinctively think people are going to abuse this because it's not fair. It doesn't feel right, even though technically everybody got what they were promised. Well, that's Jesus' story. He could have told other stories. He could have told the story of the two per- term papers. I taught at Abilene Christian for 15 years. Freshman Bible, and there would be times I would assign a term paper, and let's suppose the professor says we're going to have at the end of the semester a 10-page term paper turned in. Well, you know how it works in college classes. There's a certain percentage that, boy, the moment they get back, they're starting. They're getting an idea. You've known people like that, aren't you? Some of you are sitting by that person, that they got started right away. That first week when they had some off time, they went to the library and started researching. And then they did an outline and then they filled in the outline. And through the semester, their knowledge base grew and their sources grew. So that a week before, they print it off and they are ready. Just can't wait to turn in that masterpiece that would have made Tolstoy blush. You're ready. It's it's researched. And then there are other people in my freshman Bible class and other classes who don't approach it exactly like that. First, they leave their syllabus in the classroom. Assuming it's got to be out there online someplace. They go back and they don't give it another thought until the week before finals in which it's mentioned. And they're like, there's a term paper in this class? 
And even that doesn't get their attention because that last weekend before finals, that's for play. I mean, that's me time. So the night before it's due, they, they come up with a topic. And they throw it together. Somebody teaches them how to set the spacing from 2 to 2.5. And the next thing you know, they got three, maybe four pages quoting extensively from those reputable resources known as Wikipedia and Reddit. And this mess of a term paper comes, and the others are eager. They can't wait to turn them in. And right before finals, the professor says, listen, You've been the best class. It's been a joyful semester to me. You know what I'm going to do? As long as you turn one in, everybody gets an A today. How do you feel if you are this person, the Wikipedia expert? Yes! That's great news. Give me the denarius. But those of you who worked all day long and toiled through the heat of the day, Lord have mercy is right. That's bittersweet. Or he could have told the story, the parable of the two school loans. School, student number one comes and, and she's eager to work hard. She's going to get through in four years and she's going to take as many hours as you can. She's a barista on the side. She's going to pay those bills down, get in, get out. And when it's graduation time, she only owes $20,000. Her roommate went another route. She had started a year or two before. She's on the five or six year plan, taking lower course loads, retaking a few. Doesn't work. And at graduation, she owes 100000 And then you come to graduation, you come to the ceremony, and the president gets up and says, I did not see this coming, but a donor we weren't even... Wasn't even on our ra radar. This donor just gave us such a large gift that today I'm happy to announce we are wiping away all school debt. Or, more down to earth, he could have told the story of the church work day. The church is going to work 8 to 12. We've got some work to do on the building. Storm has come through. We've got to do some repair. Well, you know how church workday goes. You've got a certain number of people that have been waiting at seven, since 7.30 for Jonathan to show up with the key. They got the tool belts on. They got their mops, their buckets. We got work to get done. We're here. Let's go. Why do we have to wait until 8 o'clock? And they work and work and work. And then about 11.30, a couple of guys show up. They had to tea time at 7. So they've been busy, but now their round of golf is done, and they too are there at 11.30. The others are bone-weary. But you know what? When the pizza comes at noon, guess who gets in front for the all-meat pizza? It's the people that were there 30 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not just making this stuff up. Everybody else gets the vegetarian stuff that they... Who knows why they ordered it anyway? But that's what's at the end for the all-day, all-day workers. He could have told these stories, but he told this one. And it had to feel unfair. It says they began to grumble. I would think a good Jew would grumble, right? You, you and your kin have followed the Ten Commandments for generations. 
You kept the Ten Commandments. You lived a moral life. You made the sacrifices. And now, (laughs) 11th hour workers can come in? What's that about? I I can imagine just the chapter before, Peter had said to the Lord, we've given up everything to follow you. What are we going to get? I can imagine Peter thinking, I don't know that I like the sound of this. And just after this story, James and John, through their mother, make the request, when you get into your kingdom, will you give us special jobs, special positions? And you're like, what did you just say? Five o'clock in the afternoon and they're getting a full denarius? Or let's be honest, I don't feel very good about it. I was born, raised, in the Church of Christ, went every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night, every gospel meeting. In our family, we played by the rules that if you vacationed someplace with the gospel meeting, you had to go. It was local rules. Like, that's not my church. Oh, yes, we're in that town. We'll go to the gospel meeting. We have family photos from early on. My mom, my dad, my brother, and me. Sorry, Nancy, before you entered the world. And um, my brother, you can tell my brother's having none of this, really. Back in those days, you dressed your kids up. He's got his coat off, his ties off. He's got a sideward look. And it's just a little bit of, just test me. That's my younger brother. I'm there, coat and tie still on, loud and proud in charge with a Bible half my size. My brother and I call it our, which one's going to be a preacher photo. (laughs) There's several of them. And I live my life down that. And so I I read this and it it doesn't feel right. It, It feels unfair. I I think I believe in grace, but I'm not sure if I believe in grace if that's what we're talking about. And and let's just, let's say it explicitly. The problem with Jesus' story is God. God's love is so enormous that it endangers my sense of fairness. The Talmud's got a story I like better, the Jewish Talmud. It's basically the same story, only at the end the owner explains The worker at the end got paid the same because he did more than everybody else did working all day. Now that I can get on board with. But this one doesn't end that way. We're triggered by the unfairness of it. By this generosity in a topsy-turvy world where the first are last and the last are first. But is that right? It makes no sense. Unless... You're a mother of four, one of whom has gone from rehab to rehab to rehab. In and out of jail, in and out of rehab, calls in the middle of the night, distress all through. Unless you're that mother and then it starts to make a little sense. And when she dies and divides her meager Inheritance equally in 25%, 25%, 25%, 25%. Some people are scandalized. Didn't she understand? Do you know we would have twice as much money if we hadn't been paying for rehabs all along? She doesn't care. She's the mother. She has four children. 
And if that's unfair, she's going to be unfair. Or a father who's got two sons and the younger one demands an early payout on inheritance and goes into a far country. And the other one's like, I'm staying here with dad. I'm going to do right ever since the beginning. I've done what's right. But now this young buck is coming home and dad's throwing a party and killing a calf and got a robe and a ring. And he's saying, are you kidding me? I stayed here all along. And the father just says, I've always had you, but this son is back. In that kind of parental world, we start to understand it. If you're a grandparent, if you're a parent or a a deep friend to other people, it starts to make some sense. This generosity becomes a kind of card that you lay on top of all the fairness cards. And it's fair in its own way, but primarily it's the scandal of generosity. Or you're a thief and you're on a cross and it's kind of last second, the clock's ticking down, the... You've turned it upside down and the sands of time are dropping very quickly. And you have a quick conversation with another guy on the cross and he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. And that's it. He says, you're in. You're in, you're in, you're in. It doesn't feel fair. In fact, there are... Lots of theological attempts to say, oh, he wasn't really saved that the man was saved. It was, it's like, no, just take the scandal and go with it. (laughs) Or Peter. Coming back, having denied the Lord three times, and now the Lord says to him, Peter, do you love me? Yes, do you love me? Yes, do you love me? Yes, go take care of my sheep. That's not entirely fair. But it's gracious and generous. And since I've used Peter as an illustration on both sides, maybe it partly depends on where I see myself in this story. Because I pretty much always assume I'm one of the 6 a.m. workers. Don't you? That's our temptation if we grew up nurtured by the church trying to lean into being the people of God is we can too easily see, well, in this story I know who I am. But what if... I played with the parable a little bit today and said, why don't we, for sake of discussion, make Jesus the 6 a.m. worker? The one who from dawn till the setting of the sun did the work of the Father in the vineyard. If he is the 6 a.m. worker, then at best I'm a 5 p.m. worker. At best. Maybe a 5.45 Might have just gotten there in time to be handed the ticket to punch out. But this is the word of the Lord, my friends. God's driving his truck out in the labor centers. He's driving all around the building here, all around the Little Rock area. He's driving his truck. Looking for people at 6, looking for people at noon, 3 in the afternoon, 5 in the afternoon. God just driving his truck out there looking for workers. Come on, undele, get in the back, let's go. There's kingdom work to be done. And it may scandalize us, especially if we spend a lifetime trying to fine-tune our doctrinal precision. And he's just looking for people to get out in the vineyard and work. We can grumble about it. Or we can be joyful, celebrating that we are in the owner's vineyard. 
And telling others about it is never too late. What drives the story of Jesus is the endless, bottomless, scandalous love of God. It's not fair. Thank God. Oh God, we thank you for this word of our Lord. Though it confronts our quid pro quo sense, we receive it as a merciful word. I pray that the eyes of this church will be outward looking for those to work in the Father's vineyard. For the harvest is ripe. Workers are needed. And we too have been called by you. And whatever hour it may turn out to have been, we receive the mercy And we rely on nothing else, nothing in our hands we bring, simply to the cross we cling. In the name of Jesus, the master storyteller, we pray. Amen.